So Kristen Oz the Great and Powerful, the new movie with James Franco, is out this week. Um, let me ask you, what are your feelings about the original Wizard of Oz, the 1939 MGM classic with uh, Judy Garland? It was the source of at least a million nightmares of my childhood. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that witch was so scary. She was just terrifying. The and, flying monkeys. Oh, all of it. Yeah, it was very dark. It was really... It, it, and maybe I was just afraid of green things because I was also really, really scared of the Incredible Hulk into, I don't know, young adulthood. Oh, I was yeah. really scared of green things, I think, is what it comes down to. He but, was scary. Yeah, it was really – what about you? Um, I have just never been a big fan of the movie, uh, which I know is, is sort of the wrong thing to say in, in, in public. Um, but I just – it never really grabbed me. I, I mean I like – obviously the, I like the musical numbers. I like uh, – all the music is – you know, unarguably terrific, and the, Judy everything Garland's about it. voice when she's oh, singing over the rainbow. It's all great, and the and the characters are all great. The acting is great. It looks wonderful. I, I don't know what it is about it, but the story itself, just for some reason, never really grabbed me. You mean the lesson of just don't ever leave home? <laughs> <laughs> there, I suppose that is one of the lessons, isn't it? Um, well, uh, so let's talk about that because I think that. Uh, when we talk about Oz the Great and Powerful, as we will shortly, I think a lot is going to depend on how you feel about the original film. So let's do that. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And this is Kristen Meinzer, producer for The Takeaway. And this is Movie Date. All right, Kristen, we'll save Wizard of Oz for a little bit later. But first, let's talk about the complete opposite of, uh, of that, the new movie with Colin Farrell and Nomi Rapace from Girl, uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. This is Dead Man Down. The text said not to tell anyone I was coming. I told him I was... had something to do. I set a trap, Victor. I said whoever walks through that door at 9 o'clock was going to have a real bad night. Intriguing. Well, so our main character really is Colin Farrell, who plays uh, Victor. And he's the member, we think, of a uh, – looks like a low-level crime syndicate, uh, a crime-slash-real-estate syndicate led by uh, a guy named Alphonse Hoyt, who is played by Terrence Howard. We come to find out that uh, – Victor actually has a grudge against Alphonse and is actually trying to kill him. Um, in the process, he meets uh, a woman across the, across the – what is that? The housing complex? <clears throat> yeah, the, I'm not the, yeah, the, sure what to call that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure either. But they live uh, buildings, buildings apart, sort of like co-op city or something out here in New York. Um, so across the way, he sees her in the window. She waves at him. She's – kind of pretty, although she's badly scarred, and uh, they go out on a date, and soon it turns out that she has her own revenge plot as well. So you have these two vengeance-oriented people getting together in Dead Man Down. Ooh, that's a really good plot summary, Rafer. I was afraid to say anything because I just – I thought I would give it all away, but that was perfect. I, was I, th- I think – I think – I mean you, you, get a, you get a sense of that I think from the, from the trailers. I hope I'm not spoiling anything. I don't think I am. Kristen, what did you th- – what did you make? What are we to make of <laughs> Dead Man Down? Well, I – do have to say during the first few minutes of the movie, I, I went in not knowing at all what I was in for. I hadn't seen any of the trailers. All I thought was like, ugh, 
this testosterone-driven shooting, I'm mad at you, I'm in a gang thing. I just didn't want to even deal with it. I thought, can I sneak out of the movie in the first 10 minutes? No, wow. I, can't, I can't do that. I can't <laughs> do that. But I'm very happy that I stayed because I thought that it was enjoyable. It was peculiar. I kind of felt the same way I did when I saw Drive, that yeah. movie with Ryan Gosling, mm-hmm. where everything was just a little bit exaggerated, just a little bit over the top, almost cartoonish while being sort of realistic at the same time. And I had a good time with it. And it reminded me of just a melodrama, film noir, uh, just ridiculous at moments sort of movie where the lines are over the top. I found it totally enjoyable if you were willing just to go with it. Wow. That's in, I, that's that is not at all what I expected. I would <laughs> I would have expected you I would have expected you to found to find this movie as abysmal as I did. What? I thought this was I'm so surprised the whole time I was watching I'm like Rafer's loving this. I thought I this Rafer oh. cuz you like guns. Oh, and I, I, you know, you know me. I you love like this kind of stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You love all that stuff. I, I love a good genre flick, but I hate a bad one, and this is a bad one. What? I just thought it was so dumb, nonsensical. I thought the plot was just ridiculous. He's, you know, he's got this revenge plot he's cooked up. She's got her own separate revenge plot. Are they going to fall in love? Are they not? Who cares? <laughs> the, especially, I hate to say it, Nomi Rapace's character, uh, Beatrice, um, who is psychotic. She is. She is. She is. And yet pretty. So it's funny. <clears throat> well, and yet, yeah, and yet, and yet pretty. And I, uh, and again, I don't want to spoil too much about what her own uh, motives are and and what she's cooking up. But she basically inserts herself into into Colin Farrell's life and just like screws everything up for him and and just repeatedly and shows up at all the wrong times and seems to be a person who is a unable to move forward as is Colin Farrell and um, b just is just sort of consumed by hatred and darkness and has just nothing more to offer the world and I just kept thinking. Where is this love story between these two life-negating psychotics going to go, and why would I care? Because sometimes all you need is somebody else who hates the world as much as you do. Yeah. You know? I you know, guess. And, you I don't mean, think so? And, and then, then, then there comes this whole sort of, you know, oh, Henry twist at the end. <laughs> I just I, – I literally oh, – Don't give it away. I won't give, give it, away. it away. I won't give it away. Uh, I'll give, I, will give, I will give people a hint if you have read – the old Steve Martin book, Cruel Shoes, with the short stories in it. Go back and reread that before you see Dead Man Down, and the film will become far more hilarious and enjoyable to you. Um, that's a cryptic. That's a cryptic review on my part. But um, anyway, I thought it was. I thought it was a, a, a terrible, terrible film with wow. com- completely uninteresting characters and and just absolutely no fun to watch. Well, I have to say, I'm probably in the minority here, saying that I Maybe. had a good time with it because as I was walking out of the screening. Every critic said pretty much what you just said. Oh, is they were right? all just saying out loud, like, "Oh, that was insufferable." Uh, <laughs> is that the worst movie of the year so far? And and I was like, you know what? I I think it went out. It, it set out to be a certain thing, and it succeeded at being that thing. Well, good for and you for it, for holding I, your ground on that. Yeah, one. I don't think it was trying to be high art. I don't think it was trying to be. Uh, you know, it's, this isn't going to be the next Goodfellas. It's not. It's going to be something fun, a little bit ridiculous, a little bit over the top. It's going to make you roll your eyes at certain points, 
but really enjoyably rolling your eyes. That's what I think. I think it's a good date. All right. Well, I, I would say it's not even the next paycheck. So, okay. <laughs> oh, snap. That's mm. mean. That was That's mean. So mean. That was mean. All right. Let's <laughs> let's now that now that we've well, I don't know. I guess you say good date. I say bad date. Uh, all right. Well, now uh, let's go on to some listener mail. Kristen, do you want to do you want to read out some listener mail to me? Oh, and there is so much listener mail. For, first of all, we have to read one from Sean Proctor because Sean has been um, he wrote us a few weeks ago, and we haven't had a chance to get right. around to his um, mail. But after we did our review of Bullet to the Head, he wrote in to say, "What if anything is Hollywood doing to curb performance enhancing drugs? All major sports test for them." Here's the quandary I can't reconcile. Why is it cheating for Lance Armstrong and Barry Bonds to use them, but no problem for big male action stars? Rafer, what's your thought on this? Sean, I'm I'm going to put this kindly by saying I don't really understand that question. I don't see the I don't see the analogy there between um Hollywood Hollywood stars who are acting and playing fictional characters and sports figures who are competing in a sport that is supposed to be a a test of your your body your coordination and in some ways your kind of god-given and and learned strengths um i i i just i don't see I don't see the analogy. Um, however, just, just to go on though, yeah. with what Sean also writes, I couldn't read his whole letter because it's quite long. But okay. he says, just as athletes serve as role models for younger athletes, male actors, much like female fashion models, create an unrealistic body image, and that's why he thinks that performance-enhancing drugs shouldn't be allowed because they make a man look lean and beefy at the same time. Well, I mean, I, I would actually, um, I would. <laughs> I would actually go a step farther, and and I am no sports fan, so any, people are welcome to chime in and tell me that I have no idea what I'm talking about. But I actually don't understand why performing performance enhancing drugs aren't allowed in sports. I just don't. I just don't see why you wouldn't. More drugs, the better. I mean, why not? I, I don't. I don't. I mean, everyone's looking for an edge, you know, whether it's more expensive equipment or a better trainer or you know, everyone's using money to get ahead in that game, um, and the team with the most money winds up winning. And I, I don't really the, – the, the purity of sports to me seems to be kind of a non-existent thing and, and, to, and to be banning drugs from, from sports always seems to me to be a little hypocritical. I just kind of feel like if, is that really what we're talking about? Is there some kind of purity in, in major league sports? Because I'm, I'm just not seeing that. So I would, just, I would say you know, if you want to jack yourself up on steroids and go pump iron or throw a, you know, throw a, throw a ball in, into the, the, next, the next state, go ahead. <laughs> You know why? Why? Why would I care? Um, and and the same for you know the same for for Hollywood. I mean, you know how how could how I guess how could Hollywood in any in any legal or unionized way tell its stars to stop taking Botox? I just I just I don't I don't see it happening. I have to agree with you, Rafer, on this one. And and Sean, we love you and we love that you wrote in. But yes, I I also have to disagree with you. I think a lot of why we watch the movies is to see these beautiful people who don't look like the rest of us. Right. And. The last thing I'm ever going to think is, oh, you know what, Nicole Kidman, you got to stop putting Botox in your forehead. Yeah, it'd be nice if her forehead moved again. I liked back in the days when her forehead <laughs> moved. But you know what? That's that's fine. Whatever. I'm not looking at you because you look like a realistic human to me. Right. I'm, I'm looking at you for a totally different reason. And I'm, I'm fine with that. And Schwarzenegger and Stallone with, you know, what are they, like 75 and yes. totally beefed up? 
I don't care. In a way, it's hilarious. Right. I'm not looking at you as a role model to look like me. Right. I com- I completely agree. <laughs> um, anyway, but 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 you know, look, I'm glad Sean wrote in. I think we had an interesting discussion of it. You know, I don't. I'm Sean. I'm not trying to diss you entirely. So I'm I, I'm I'm glad for the letter. Yeah, and Sean, keep writing. We love it when you write. Yes. <laughs> uh, here's another letter just for you, Rafer, from Lynn Stein. Rafer, I'm so frustrated by you. I just listened to the podcast critiquing Safe Haven, and you kept referring to Juliana, Julianne Huff as Julianne Howe. Yes. You're a movie critic, for gosh sakes. This isn't her first movie. Her name is pronounced Huff. I had to correct you out loud every time you pronounced her name wrong. You should know better, Rafer. Yes. That, I sh- that's that's Lynn. That's correct. Lynn, you are correct. I should know better. Uh, what threw me was I was at a... But again, this is also no excuse because I should have checked. Uh, what threw me was... Um, well, when we did the podcast on uh, Rock of Ages, I'm pretty sure I did pronounce her name. Yeah, you did. Julianne you did. Huff. And I'm pretty sure when we, when we did the Footloose podcast, I pronounced it as Julianne Huff. Um, and that was her, wasn't it? Am yes, I it was. No, yeah, no, okay. that's absolutely right. right. So um, when I saw the screening of Safe Haven, there was an editor there from a magazine that had had um, – an interview with Julianne Huff, and I am pretty sure she pronounced her name in front of us, to us, to the whole audience, Julianne Howe. And I remember thinking like, oh, well, God, have I been saying her name wrong all this time? So Howe got stuck in my head, and then I began pronouncing it that way. Um, but but you are correct, and even that is no excuse. I should have checked first uh, and looked it up, and it, and it is indeed Huff. I stand corrected, uh, and I apologize to all other listeners who were who were enraged slash baffled <laughs> by that by that podcast. Lynn, thanks for the correction, though. Yes. I mean, I can I, I can't even imagine how many mistakes we both make in all. Oh, the good podcasts. lord! I yeah. know I've made a lot of mistakes in the podcast before yeah. in the past, but thank you so much, Lynn. And then we also just wanted to point out we got dozens and dozens and dozens of letters from all over the country on our Oscar special. Um, that's the one that was broadcast uh, in various cities around America, plus it was released as a, you know one of our podcasts. And a lot of people were very, 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 very critical of our yes. podcast for, for a wide range of reasons. Yes. But this is our favorite criticism from Philip in D.C. Damn it, guys. I'm naked, but you guys are not. I want to hear some skin now. False advertising. You guys are entertaining, though I don't quite know what to make of you. And, he, and, and he's, hmm. he's responding to the fact that it was called Oscar Totally Naked. That was the name of, right. our, that was right. the name of our movie date Oscar special. So, uh, Philip, we love that you wrote in, and we are naked right now. Keep it swinging, Philip. <laughs> Keep it swinging. All right. And sh- should we do this one last one? I, it's a trivia question from a listener. Yeah. Yeah, so this is um, it's it's Gail, I think. Yeah, it's Gail Truman who wrote into us, um, and I, I think that maybe we should ask our listeners to help us with this one. You can see you can see her picture if you log on to uh, Facebook. Uh, what is Facebook dot com slash Movie Date Podcast? Yes. Um, and her picture is on there. You will see her as some kind of. Mm, superhero, superhero, Catwoman-ish, manga thing, manga possibility. She's got a, there's a mask. There's what looks like purple tinted hair. 
Giant, um, giant knife. Giant, yes, sort of saber, a kind of a notched saber. Knee pads. Black knee pads, <laughs> purplish looking stockings, a plaid, uh, very attractive short plaid kind of miniskirt thing. She, she looks fierce and adorable at yes, the same time. Exactly. Yes, exactly. I was thinking maybe Hit Girl, but I don't remember Hit Girl carrying a giant weapon like that. Um, anyway, we're stumped. If you can, if you can go onto the site, listeners, and and figure out who that is, um, let us know five seven one seven movies, and uh, Gail, uh, keep the mystery going. Let yeah. keep keep us guessing. <laughs> All right, so um, we will turn our attentions now to um, another movie, a, a, a smaller film that's opening up uh, this week called Emperor. I know your order was not to use weapons against the palace. My order is not to use weapons, nor force of any kind. There will be a time when the emperor will have to come to me, and he will come to me. We're talking about the vice minister, sir. I need access to him, but I can't just walk in there. The Imperial guards are trained to defend the grounds to the death. Find another way. Ooh, is that about emperor penguins? Is that about... <laughs> what, what, what is that? Is that about the emperor's new clothes? What is that oh, all about, Ray Come on, come on. What now, is Chris, that? It's about Emperor Hirohito of Japan. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Right. I, I missed that screening. I you, missed yo, it. you missed that one. This yeah. is uh, this is a movie um, in... Uh, not not in wide release, but in sort of... But it, it is playing in theaters, uh, uh, not just not just here in New York and L.A., I think. Um, this uh, has Tommy Lee Jones as uh, General Douglas MacArthur. It takes place... In Japan during the U.S. occupation, uh, Matthew Fox plays one of his uh, generals, uh, uh, an aide named uh, Bonner Fellers, and they are trying to figure out basically what to do with Japan's war criminals and what to do with Hirohito, who was then uh, considered to be a living god. Uh, Washington wanted to try him, scapegoat him basically, uh, maybe try him for war crimes, and uh, Matthew Fox – who knows Japan well, intimately, let's say, he uh, had an affair with a Japanese woman, um, believes that trying Hirohito... <laughs> he knows it intimately. <laughs> you didn't just You like that? that? You like oh, that? You thought I wasn't going to catch that because you just kept talking. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, that wasn't too off-color, was it? Anyway, that was he, awesome. Okay. That was great. <laughs> but he, he believes that, em- that, that trying Emperor Hirohito would, you know, would lead the country into open revolt. Um, Kristen, you have not seen this. I will, I'll just say a couple of quick things about this. The idea to me of Tommy Lee Jones playing MacArthur is pretty great. Um, you know, Genius. That's right? perfect casting. Perfect, yeah, exactly. Perfect casting. Almost too perfect. Um, you know – if this were a biopic, you would totally pay to see that movie. Um, oh, absolutely. And if you've yeah. seen some of the posters for Emperor, the name at first misled me into thinking that that was some kind of euphemism for MacArthur himself, who was kind of known to be a real, you know, uh, uh, egotistical, self-aggrandizing type of ruler. Um, you might think that this was a that this was about MacArthur. Tommy Lee Jones is in this film for maybe fifteen minutes. It's a complete secondary part. It, I, I got the feeling that he sort of strolled onto the set for four days, shot some films, and then left. And the real star of this film is Matthew Fox of ABC's, ABC's Lost. And I'm going to say – And Party of Five. Oh, and, <laughs> and Party of Five. Let us not forget. I'm going to call that a little bit of a bait and switch. I feel, I feel a little cheated going in, going in to see what I thought was going to be a, a Tommy Lee Jones as a MacArthur movie and instead getting Matthew Fox movie. But don't you like Matthew Fox? I, I like you Matthew, liked Matthew Fox, Fox perfectly fine. I have not yet seen him – in a movie that has impressed me, I, I give to you, you love Alex that Tyler Cross. Perry movie. <laughs> I love that we both oh, thought of that at the same time. Yeah. I, I didn't think anything. I didn't think any actor could be worse in that movie than Tyler Perry was and Matthew Fox was. 
Um, and I'm sorry about that. It may be his choice of material. Uh, this this movie also, in addition to being not a movie about MacArthur, is also deadly, deadly dull. It is just – it is talking, 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 talking and no action, nothing visually interesting to look at. No good costumes, really? No good costumes and just really, a, really a dull, dull film. Um, so – uh, there you go. I don't think you need to see Emperor. I'm sorry to say. Bad date for oh, me. All right. That's too bad. I, I like, think I like Matthew Fox. I do I do too, and I keep wanting to see him in something that would that would that would make use of him. Um that would that would, you know, because I I did like him in Lost. Um anyway, I'm pretty sure you would have agreed with me on that one, Kristen. But, okay. We well I'm not well, gonna we'll never know. Out. You're not selling me on it. No, so we'll never know. We'll I'm never probably know. not gonna do it. Should we go uh move on to Oz the Great and Powerful? Ooh. Let's talk about Oz, great and powerful. Kansas is full of good men. I don't want to be a good man. I want to be a great one. No! I don't want to die! I haven't accomplished anything yet! Please! Wow. Are, are you ready to go over that rainbow? Let's I go. Know, I know you want to... I, <laughs> I, I know you're mm-hmm. feeling a, a, a little... A little bit of something on the yellow brick road there, right? Yeah. Well, okay. Um, Kristen, do you want to give a uh, give us a summary? Yeah. This is the backstory of Oz, who um, is the great and powerful, supposedly. He is the guy who you might recall the original Wizard of Oz. Should I should I do spoilers for Wizard of Oz, or everyone knows the Wizard of I'm Oz? Pretty, I'm pretty sure everyone <laughs> knows the story. Okay. So you know how Dorothy. In the Wizard of Oz, in the black and white section of the movie, the sepia tone section, uh, sees a carnival seer who tells her fortune. And then when she goes into the land of Oz after she hits her head during the tornado and she has that whole big full color, technicolor dream sequence, he ends up being the the whiz, you know? Yes. And, the, <laughs> right. and, and, and he's really just a charlatan, total fake. He's a fraud. But he does have a little bit of wisdom and he does have a good heart underneath it all. And, right. he, and he helps Dorothy to realize that there's no place like home. But in the movie, we only know those little bits and pieces in the original Wizard of Oz. But in the new movie, Oz the Great and Powerful, the story focuses on him and how he ended up in Oz in the first place. And much like the Wizard of Oz, it starts off with a black and white section at the very beginning in Kansas. And then... Much like Wizard of Oz, a tornado takes him to Oz. Apparently, the only way to get to Oz is through... Through a twister. Yeah. Through a natural disaster. Yeah, absolutely. So we follow his journey, and in this Technicolor world that he's in, he encounters three... uh, Witches. Witches, yes. Three witches, all women. And so uh, unlike the Wizard of Oz, where Dorothy has three guys who help her along the way, he has three women who help him along the way, and... We learned some lessons, and he learned some lessons. And so, Rafer, what did you think about this? Well, uh, again, um, I think the best way to approach this movie is going to be by not comparing it to the original film. Um, there, there, there's so people have so much invested in that movie. I, I kind of think, just as I was saying, you know. Everyone knows the story by now. Um, you kind of can't spoil the Wizard of Oz. You know, the Wizard of Oz by this by this time has kind of passed into the realm of myth. It's it almost feels like a story without an origin in a way. It almost feels like like nobody ever really quite wrote it. Um, Ooh, I and like so, that. well, you know what I mean. And so I feel like it's okay to kind of take the Wizard of Oz and just 
spin that story kind of any way you want. Do something new with it. Do something fresh. And I think this film basically does that. Uh, I think it's a mixed bag. I think there's a lot of things in here that work and a lot of things that don't. But overall, I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, and I enjoyed James Franco, who plays the the, the huckster, uh, sort of, you know, again, the huckster who is good-hearted deep down but just has to figure out how to tap into that and use his use his fakery to good ends. And the person I really enjoyed the most um, – well, the two other people I really enjoyed the most were Mila Kuna as uh, Mila Kunis, excuse me, as Theodora, uh, one of the first witches that he meets, and I also liked Michelle Williams as mm-hmm. Glinda, the Good Witch. I thought she brought a really a, kind of a fresh, sexy, and kind of sophisticated twist to Glinda that you wouldn't have expected. Um, those were the things that I thought worked. W- what about you, Kristen? I could tell that you were liking Mila Kunis when we were sitting next to each other. Uh-huh. I, I, I could tell you liked her, and I could tell that you liked James Franco. You were actually laughing out loud at certain points where I, I was like, I think I know exactly how Rafer feels about this movie. Yeah. I think he's decided he's just going to go with it, and he's going to enjoy it. And I have to say, I did as well. You now, did? Okay. I really, my favorite part initially was the black and white stuff in the beginning. It was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was nicely done. I just thought it was shot so well and so perfect. And I have to say, I found it really jarring when we got into Oz initially because I really did not like the CGI. I didn't like the settings. I didn't uh. like any of the stuff in the color world. However, the characters took me through. I was willing to look past all the crappy CGI and just deal with the characters. And the characters are so enjoyable. And yeah. I think that, like you, Mila Kunis was one of the highlights of the movie. Michelle Williams was great. And I also like Rachel Weisz. I thought she was really great, yeah. too. And James Franco, just, you know, he he doesn't want to be good. He wants to be great. Right, right. But we know that maybe it's more important to be good than great. In yeah. some ways. And yes. you can see that his character evolves in a certain way where we get to see that. And it actually happens. And, he, and he's not a perfect guy by any means. He does some p- terrible things to people in this movie, especially to women. Yes. He's, he's, he's a terrible jerk. You do not want to end up on a date with this guy. He's going to be terrible. He's going to use you. He's going to lie to you. He's going to abandon you. He's not a good guy. I. That's kind of – that's. That's sort of what I enjoyed the most about the movie was that there's a little – without – I think without sp- without spoiling it for children, there's a little bit of a, an adult, uh, slightly racy edge to it that never gets to, never gets off color, never gets sexual exactly. Um, Except Mila Kunis's tight leather trousers. <laughs> her stack heels and that crazy uh, sort of Joan Crawford hat she's wearing. Yeah. Again, some, there are some things in the movie that are a little off. Mila Kunis's outfit was a little, a little off. She's she's dressed. She, you know, she she's sort of somewhere between Joan Crawford and Veronica Lake. But that costume doesn't really fit her character you know this the the 40s siren costume doesn't really fit the naive character that she's playing so there there are these little i don't know these little kind of missteps or something in the movie but um the director sam raimi uh you know spider-man i think does a really good job of keeping it fun and funny it's got a little bit of a an old-fashioned flair to it Mm -hmm. um but it's not hokey seeming or forced it just seems kind of it has a good, fun, entertaining, kind of old Hollywood feel to it without being you know, slavishly faithful to the original, without trying to recreate or pay too much 
tribute or too much of an homage to the original. I think it kind of crafts its own identity. I th- what you were saying, some of the CGI, it's a little bit of a bummer that James Franco's two friends that he pals around with on the yellow brick oh, road yeah. are both CGI yeah. characters. I had an issue with that. that yeah. Finley the Flying Monkey, who's voiced by Zach Braff, and then um, – That little doll from Chinatown. All the, uh, right, who, is, who is unfortunately <laughs> named China Girl. Um, oh, yeah. But I have to say – and she's voiced by a, a young actress named um, Joey King – China Girl kind of got to me. I, I, I didn't when when they first meet China Girl and her oh, legs are broken. Yeah. I, I really kind of thought like, whoa, this is kind of getting to me. And you know who wrote who co-wrote the screenplay is um, David Lindsay Abair, the playwright who also co-wrote um, Rise of the Guardians. And I recognized a lot of his. He's got this way with a real. Um, a real kind of deep and slightly maybe sometimes a little too deep reaching uh, fairy tale. There are these moments where I feel like he strikes a, li- a little too deep into your heart with that stuff. <laughs> I felt that with Rise of the Guardians and Stop I felt that making with me cry. China Girl. I know. I kind of thought like, God, China Girl, I, I just met you and I feel like I'm about to start weeping. But, um, you know, but ultimately, ultimately for all its flaws, I totally bought it. I did too. All right. I'm I did. glad. And even the lines, like there are a couple of lines that if they were delivered by anybody else might not work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes the thing that you wanted most wasn't really the thing you needed. Yeah. Lines like that. Yeah. There's a lot of, not a lot of lines like that, but there are a few like that. And instead of me rolling my eyes, I actually was like, that's yeah, so true. I know. Many of the lines in there are like right out of the screenplay Bible, right? They're right, right out of the screenwriter's handbook. But yeah. uh, but they totally work. They yeah. totally work. Totally work. All right. I'm glad. So, I, you know, I gave it, I gave it two and a half out of four stars. Good date to me. I would good give date. it even more than that. Oh, I, would, okay. I would give it at least three. I, I would say it was a really good date. And oh. just go with it. Don't expect it to be Wizard of Oz. But, you know, there are little ways it pays homage to Wizard of Oz, which I liked a lot. There, there are moments where you're like, oh, that's what the bubbles are about. Oh, yeah, the bubbles. <laughs> right. Glinda's bubbles, right? <laughs> yeah, there are things like that where I'm just like, that's enjoyable. But they aren't heavy handed about it. And yeah. I just thought it was a really good date. So I highly recommend this movie. Okay, good. So I'm glad we had something to actually offer the listeners to tell them to go see this weekend. That's that's a that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kristen, Let's give us the trivia. Yeah, give us the give us last week's trivia. Solve solve this for us. Okay. So our trivia question last week, in honor of 21 and over, was. The son of a two-time Oscar-winning director made his acting debut in a movie very much like 21 and Over. Name the actor, his father, and the movie. And here's the right answer. My name is Brad Goodall from Lewisport, Kentucky. I think I have the trivia answer for this week. The actor would be Mason Lee. The director is that is Ang Lee. And the movie that Mason Lee was in is The Hangover Part 2. Am I a winner? Brad. I Brad think that's, again. Uh, Brad, I think that's a hat trick. Oh I my know. God. That's three times that Brad was the first to get to us. And Brad, again, within like two hours of us posting the podcast, and it's like amazing. That's so fast. We got to put some fine print sweepstakes, uh, you know, rules in there that, you know, if you can't, if you've won a prize within the last 60 days, you can't, although we don't give we out prizes. We never give so. away any. I guess that's the problem. Why, how can we complain? We can't really complain. Keep, 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 keep socking them out of the park, Brad. Oh, Brad, we would love it if you called in every week. We just love that you call in so quickly each time. God, I know. All right. So um, this week's question, we'll, we'll do this one in honor of, um, of the Wizard of Oz. Perhaps you have heard of the... Uh, the favorite stoner pastime uh, where you sync up 
The Wizard of Oz, either on DVD or uh, or perhaps VHS, with Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Um, now, supposedly, supposedly, each track from the album serves as an alternate score to the film. We're going to play a clip from the album. We want you to tell us what's going on in the movie while this song plays. If you know what is happening in The Wizard of Oz while that Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon song is playing. Oh, I think I'm shooting myself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hold on. You asked what's going on in the movie while this is happening. Well, take a break from that bong, Kristen, and see if you can... See if you can tell us the answer. So, uh, so listeners, if you know the answer, tell us what's going on in the movie while that song plays. Give us a call, 5717-MOVIES. Or log on to Facebook.com slash Movie Date Podcast. 